Hey, what's up, nerds? It's November 8th, 2017. And this is episode 15 of Book Nerds. The read-along podcast where we pick a book and read about 150 pages a week discussing things as we go until we're finished. Then we pick another book and do it all over again. I'm Matt Shibodi. And I'm Danielle Bryan. And this week we're discussing pages 1 through 135 of Turtles All the Way Down by John Green. And, oh man. Does it feel so good to be in a new John Green book? Yeah, it really does. But first. But first. Danielle, what are you reading? Um, oh, I just finished. So remember a long time ago when one of the books we discussed doing a podcast on was The Wanderers? Yes, I do. By Meg Howery. Well, suck it. I just read it on my own and it was super good. So I will recommend that to anyone out there. It's like a, uh, it's kind of slow, but not in a terrible way. And it's just kind of like this. Uh, study of three astronauts who have been chosen for a potential trip to Mars. And so then they go on a 17 month simulation and you just kind of see how it affects them and their families. Interesting. It was really good. And then also on audible right now, I, I gave up on it, dude. I just had to jump out. (laughs) I had 20 hours to go. I found it disturbing and kind of boring and I was just done. So I guess if I ever want to subject myself, I'll see the movie. Uh, my girlfriend saw the movie and she described it the best way. She just said, I just watched 83% of a movie through the buttonhole of my coat. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right, that's really good. Um, but I am listening to Between the World and Me on Audible, which is read by ta Coates, the author. Oh, and it's the, nice. I mean, if anybody, I'm super late to the game on this one, but it's the letter he writes to his 15-year-old son on uh basically what it is to have a black body and hopefully how to protect it because no one's going to protect it for you. Yeah, we it read that for my, my, my last book club attempt, physical real life book club. I think that was actually probably the last book we read before it dissolved. But yeah, it's sad. And it's horrific. Like, I guess even, you know, I know I'm on like a white privilege kick, but even to read that and to have my first thing be like, oh, this is sad. I think, again, sheds light on my privilege, right? Because it's not like, oh, this is fucking life-threatening because to me, it's not. Right. And so then my first thing is just like, oh, how sad. And then I even say, you know, you have to unpack that feeling too and be like, no, no, it's more than sad. It's horrendous what we do in our country. So I'm working my way through that right now. And then when I finish, um, I don't know. There's got to be some next step after the book. I don't think it's enough just to be aware. Yeah, and I want to move on to other things in the pod, but just on that note, and one of the things that's been bugging me, and we haven't really talked about it, is all of all of the police violence incidents and all of the shootings on mostly unarmed young black men, or in some cases, instances where they legally were armed and said, hey, I have a gun, just want you to know, and were shot. Mm-hmm. How is it, I mean, I feel like, statistically in all of these instances there has to be at least one instance of wrongdoing how is it that in literally zero of these cases is anyone facing repercussions it's systemic racism that allows us still like as white people to kill black people (sighs) like it just kills me like i want to see i mean at least one one person be like, yeah, that was fucked up. Like that was uncalled for and it was out of line and it was unlawful. Yeah, we saw the video. Yep. So yeah, you're actually going to go to jail. 
yeah. So until that happens. Until that happens, then every young boy uh, who is not the whitest of white should probably read this book. And then all the white boys should probably read it, too, so they don't grow up to be asshole white men. Yeah. That's my goal. I'd support that. I mean, that's my everyday goal <laughs> to raise white, these like lovely, wonderful white little boys into empathetic, caring white men who are good citizens of this world. Agreed. That's that's the mission. People always ask me, they're like, oh, God, I couldn't have kids. And I'm like, well, someone's got to have try to raise the good ones. Someone's exactly. Do you it. can't just all the assholes just can't be the only ones breeding. Right. Yeah. You got to raise the freedom fighters somewhere. Uh, Matt, what are you reading? Oh, man, it's been an awesome October. It's I have been just loving Halloween and scary books. So I finished The Troop by Nick Cutter and goddamn, it's probably the grossest creepiest scariest book i've read in a long time um i loved every minute of it and it like i honestly like i kind of put off reading it for a long time because i just kind of got this vibe that it was sort of like a zombie sort of book like oh scouts and zombies or something it is not that it is far more original and far more interesting and if you are into just being scared and at times grossed out, but not in a like evil torture humans doing horrible things to humans kind of way, but in just a like creepy malevolent powers beyond your control. It's awesome. Like I loved it. It was probably one of the more original books I'd read in a while um, in that sort of vein. And then because that was so good, I abandoned Final Girls uh, by Riley Sager because it just was slow and I don't know, I gave up on it. And then I also read The Ready-Made Thief by Augustus Rose, which I don't know if you heard much about this book, but it's Mm-mm. sort of, I mean, the general premise of it is teenage girl, kind of outcast, um, falls into sort of a homeless underground secret society, and then it ties into conspiracy theory centered around Marcel Duchamp and stolen artworks. It, oh, I wanted it to be so good, and it was kind of average. What I would say. Um, I hate that. I hate when you fall in love with a book on paper and then you go on your first date and it doesn't work out. Yeah, it's, there's so much to like about it, but also it there just was a lot that it felt like it maybe needed another pass of editing. You know, there was a lot of stuff that I think could have been trimmed. There were a lot of interesting ideas that weren't explored and other ideas that weren't so interesting that were. So, I mean, I gave it a B. Like, it wasn't terrible, but I didn't love it as much as I wanted to. And then lastly, I'm currently reading Paperbacks from Hell by Grady Hendrix, which is the perfect book to be wrapping up here in early November. Grady Hendrix is this sort of weirdo horror writer. He wrote a book called Horror Store that's basically a haunted house tale set in an Ikea. That's pretty amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, perfect. Yeah, his other book is called My Best Friend's Exorcism. But this book is actually him going back and exploring the horror paperback boom of the 70s and 80s. So like all of those, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but I grew up going to trading bookstores with my mom and Mm -hmm. just seeing like all just crazy cover art and like weird fonts and just like these total mind warping paperbacks. And I never really read them. But so this is just like a thematic exploration. So he's got like a chapter on 
Satan worshippers and a chapter on creepy children and a chapter on evil animals. So like all the dime store pulp horror of the 70s and 80s. And it's packed with like all the cover art and original illustrations. So it's it's just so much fun. And he goes through that like awesome. plot summaries. So it sort of saves you the time of having to read through them all because he did the work for you. But you get all the ridiculous plots and uh, yeah, it's really fun. That sounds cool. I'm glad that you gave his book such like a rousing thumbs up after you started the introduction by calling him like a little weirdo. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to I, review I, I love me. Now. I love me some little weirdos. <laughs> um, I have to say that going into this book, how easy is it to like, man, let's give a nod to YA Lit for a moment. It really is easy to read. It's so fast. I've halfway through this book and I've probably invested, what do you think, like 90 minutes? Yeah. I mean, I like I'm, as we always say, I'm the slow reader. So I've put two nights in before bed to get here. So maybe I've put in like three hours total, but yeah, it's great. Yeah, but you didn't fall asleep. Right. So perfect. No, I didn't. And I think I actually read a chapter more than I was supposed to. So there's that. (laughs) I know you need to forget the last. Don't worry, I did. I went in and sort of gave myself a minor lobotomy. So we'll be fine. Uh, Good. I'm super glad. Um, Yeah, I I think that why I was reading this article on Book Riot, which I can send you the link. And it was talking about uh, the premise of the article is is To Kill a Mockingbird, the original, like, YA lit. Mm. But then she goes through and says, no, because it's an adult retelling the story. It's actually, like, a really good... I'm just going to ruin the article. It's really good because she talks about, of course, it's not YA lit, because even though the subjects are all under the age of 18, she is very obviously an adult looking back on them and, like, you know, commenting on their, like, naive childhood. So... Where, according to this Book Riot article, in order to be true YA lit, they have to be, the protagonists are self-aware in the moment as characters that someone of their age or potentially older will identify with when they were that age. So no one when you're a child, right? Like when Scout's like afraid of what's happening and she's running in her Halloween costume, she's life or death petrified instead of like having that adult looking back and thinking, oh, I thought this was horrific and I didn't yet understand the horrors that the world had in store. So I thought that was a really interesting kind of caveat. Yeah, that's a good subtle nuance and I think it makes a lot of sense. But it's interesting too that you, I mean, it's sort of, I don't know, splitting hairs a little bit because what I love about John Green books is I wish I was a teen like he describes teens and I hope my son is a teen like his characters because they're also goddamn smart and charming and wonderful and it's like infusing the knowledge and experience of an adult into a teen. Yeah, it's like everyone's Juno but not pregnant. Yeah, and it's like I love it and that's why it's I think that's why I love John Green books so much is that it is I mean and I think we all, especially book nerds, probably were teens of a similar ilk that were a little mm-hmm. bit precocious and definitely a little bit more literary than most. I don't know that we were as whip smart and fun and charismatic as these characters, but I think we all wish we were. Yeah. Can I give a shout out right here? I'm going to super age us, but whatever. Um, to the original like kids who talked like little adults, 
and Dawson's Creek. Like John Green would probably kill himself if you heard me like make this analogy. But uh, it is what it reminds me of, like when that show came out and it was such a I feel like at the time I went back and I watched a little like Joey and Pacey clip, which we can link to in the pod notes. And it is super cheese. But it was this like they treat everything like it's life or death, because, again, for them, it really is. And also they are hyper lucid and verbal. I mean, there is no, hey, Joey, what's going on? Uh, I don't know. I can't really explain it. No, man, they are fully self-aware and then go into this giant diatribe of like their most nuanced feelings. Dude, I guarantee you John Green grew up on Dawson's Creek. He was born in 1977. So, oh, he's my exact age. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I, I bet he's stoked to hear comparisons to Dawson's Creek. It blew my mind when it first came out. I was a little, and so John Green was too, because we're both a teensy bit older than you. Like we were just like a teeny bit too. So we were kind of, you know, because they were all, I think, like just a little bit younger and then they were actually playing younger on the show. So I bet I watched that like into college. But yeah, I dug it. And now it's embarrassing to watch it again. But it really was one of those like eye-opening shows where you're like, yes, we really do. We don't really verbalize that way. But yes, that's how I feel. Uh, yeah, so that's fun. I have a super cheesy link. Oh, nice. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I didn't watch a whole lot of Dawson's Creek. I just sort of knew about it and just knew of like the music culture that kind of came out of it. It really is like the Lilith Fair soundtrack. It absolutely so, is. That's fun. Um. Hey, what do we think about our poor, like, Holmesy? Oh. OCDs, man. Stressful. And then I had to look up that Wikipedia page and I had to read about the human microbiota. And it's, I had to then try to forget everything I read. What did did you learn? That there's just so much, like, (laughs) they call it, like, flora and fauna, like, in every crevice, orifice, secretion liquid part of your body like no wonder as i was reading it and now i find myself redoing it i have taken to her thing of like pushing my thumbnail into my middle finger dude it's Not such a point. it is such a brilliant little tick that i did the same thing i was like oh what is that what does that feel like i want to feel that and then i found myself doing it too i know and now i'm doing it right now i can't stop so i feel like i have a little bit of an ocd tendency but not to the point of uh Aza here, but uh, yeah, I feel like I've picked up her tick and now I need to start biting my fingernails again or something so that I stop doing it. Yeah, it's inter- It's a good, I mean, kudos to John Green for it's just such a simple little thing that he's able to make a defining element of her character. And I think he does that really well with a lot of his characters. He'll take like one simple element, like, you know, with Davis, it's, um, it's his stargazing and with... Mm-hmm. Uh, what's her name? The friend Daisy. It's her fanfic. Like there's sort of he'll take like one key element and then it just sort of becomes a sort of theme that he can bounce off of and expand on. And with Aza, I think it works really well that it's this little, you know, physical tick and it's part of her OCD, but it's also part of her trying to remind herself, you know, is she real? Is she in control? But then it also opens up the gateway to more concerns. So it's just, I don't know. It's good. It's simple. I like it. It was really good. I know you don't want to do this, but I'm going to go down this road because I love talking about weird ass parasites and bugs, which throwback to what is wrong with you throwback to the troop by Nick Cutter. So if you're not into that kind of stuff, you probably shouldn't read that book. 
let's just say it's it's a bioengineered parasite that is the true horror in that book. Uh, spoiler alert. Also, I feel like when you just talk about this stuff right now, not only am I going to encourage our listeners to fast forward, I'm just going to put you on mute. <laughs> Go. Re- talk really? About You're not going to join guy. me in on this? I don't know. I'll probably make gagging noises. It's, it's not that creepy. I hate this stuff. Oh, it's amazing. Okay, so what I love about this is Aza talks about this parasite you know, that takes control and hijacks fish. And I found a link here about it. Um, I'm going to pull it up here one second. Puppies, kittens, puppies, kittens. All right, whatever. <laughs> but, it, I mean, John Green pretty much gets to the gist of it. But basically, these parasites, they live in fish eyeballs. And when they're young, they keep the fish deep in the water so that they're safe and away from predators. But the only way that these parasites can actually reproduce is in the gut of birds. So when they get mature, they bring the fish up to the surface so that they get eaten by birds. Like, how insanely brilliant is that? It's grossly brilliant. Okay, so... It's like they're evil genius. I know. So we take this one step further, and there's a parasite called toxoplasma. And toxoplasma grows really well in mice, but it can only reproduce in the intestinal tract of cats. So what it does, like when it infects mice, it actually alters their brain and they lose their innate fear of cats and they start to like cats so that then they get eaten by cats and then the bacteria can reproduce. That's the why, that's the reason that pregnant women can't change litter boxes. Yep. P.S. And also that's possibly one of the origins for the meme of the crazy cat lady that actually it can infect you <gasps> and make you more akin to cats and want to be around them. So that you might also eat the mice. <laughs> Or that they might eat you. <laughs> Holy gross. Well, that is really weird. Yeah. All right, that was interesting. So, which gives credence, I think, to Aza's concerns about her own personal microbiome. And we talk about humans and humans, how the gut, you know, you follow your gut, you have your gut feeling. And there's a lot of research lately around the idea of the gut being your second brain. And the part of it is the gut actually sends signals to the brain. Like it's not just getting directions, like the brain's telling it what to do. It's actually feeding information the other way. But also half of your gut are microorganisms and those organisms are reacting. And so like sometimes when you get that gut feeling like, oh my God, I'm not going to be safe. Like that might be you or it might be all these microorganisms that are also trying to save their own lives. And they're saying, hey, this might not be safe. Well, that's fascinating. Okay, that article I'll read. I thought it was going to be like stuff about like, you know, worms and eyes and shit like that. But this is uh, interesting. Oh, no. For worms and eyes, read The Troop by Nick Cutter. Um. No! <laughs> Gross. And I'm out. Uh, I will not read that book, but I'm totally going to read that Is the Pit of Your Stomach, Your Second Brain yeah. article. That's fascinating. And that, so that, I mean, Aza has this sort of existential dilemma about it that, you know, am I in control? Who's in control? And like, it's honestly kind of a valid concern. <laughs> well, I feel like both of poor Aza's brains have issues. Yes. Right? So if the if her microbes are her second brain, they also probably have OCDs. So that's a bummer. Well, and what's interesting is that in this article that I'll link, they posit that people with anxiety and depression, possibly one of the root causes of it is an unhealthy microbiome in the gut. That it's a pervasive, oh. like, 
these microorganisms are like, hey, life's not good in here. So you have this kind of general sense that something's not right. I will say, I think tying into that, that like, if that does kind of set, you know, send into feelings, you know, some people are like, I'm a mean drunk or whatever. I'm not like, I'm a loving drunk. I get that from my mom. Like I get a little tipsy and I'm telling everybody in the room, like what great friends we are, but I am a mean sugar recovery person. So this is a time of year where I am just a bitch. Like I did raid my kids Halloween candy last night and I was not a nice mom this morning. Like it sets that sugar, which you know, messes up like all your bacteria yep. and all of your like every natural setting in your body. Uh, I do come out of that not being depressed per se, but like that's my, oh, tequila makes me mean. Mine is a Butterfinger. <laughs> yeah, all your microbiomes are like, give us more sugar. And I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. Who is that? Like, He's just so getting like, in the way of the sugar. It's the worst. Yeah, it's just pushing my kids out of the way. Fuck you, give me your candy. Um, interesting. All right, I'm going to read that article and then maybe it will be just another way for me to step away from the sugar machine yeah who knows one of these days one of those reasons is gonna stick i just know it yeah it's hard it's really hard um back in this book i'm just i love i love how john green writes just in general and in the whole um hyper aware and super verbal students i want to read my favorite line so it's on page 23 i think it's daisy talking let me make sure yeah it is and I love her anyway, but she says, we're about to live the American dream, which is, of course, to benefit from someone else's misfortune. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. Nail on the head. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, Daisy's uh, great. It, I, but I, I love Daisy for a lot of reasons, but also because, I mean, John Green is very familiar with the trope of the manic pixie dream girl. It's sort of in all of his books in some way, shape or form, like this female character who's just larger than life, but also a little mysterious and kind of just has huge charisma and upends everyone's world just because they're who they are and they're this fabulous butterfly. And I love- Hashtag Matt's dream girl. Right. Yeah, we know. Yeah, exactly. We but, get it. And I love that <laughs> Daisy is, I mean, literally the original literary manic pixie dream girl is Daisy from The Great Gatsby. So it's just a oh, nice yeah. little nod to that character trope, I think. Well done. Well done, Professor. Um. Hey, reading this book, because sometimes it makes me feel real old, right? So when they're talking about YA lit and it's for basically, even in its most generous definition, it's for 12 to early 20s is what they aim for, even though adults read it. But ever, And I think, oh, it applies to everybody. But every once in a while, I'm like, oh, I've aged. Hey, when did Facebook become just for old people? And why did no one give me the memo? Because um, we sent it out via Twitter. Oh, I hate Twitter. It drives me insane. It's just a bunch. Of, well, all the people I follow are either comedians or politicians or like pundits. So it's either making me laugh or making me rip my hair. Actually, out. the, me the but, memo probably came through on Snapchat, which neither of us are on. So, yeah, I'm not downloading that again. I think the only people. Well, whatever, I guess for kids. So why is, why is Facebook for old people in this book? I didn't catch that. Uh, it was going through and talking about all of the ways that she followed when she was like, oh, yeah looking when Aza was looking for Davis and then they were just like a couple references about how they haven't like updated their Facebook page since like ninth grade. That's right. Like, like yeah, I have it. But who does that anymore? Nobody does that. I did love that sequence because who hasn't 
gone down that road of like trying to stalk someone online of like, oh, let me search their name. Oh, is this them? No, it's not that. But then you find like this that leads you to this. It, like Hers was solid. Yeah, it was a good sequence of events. I like that a lot. Not that I've ever stalked someone via social media. No, for sure. There's no pixie dream girl that's like, Matt Shiboti, block. Um, so I want to tell another like Danielle's old story, but my girlfriend's daughter, who is, I think that she's 13, um, and of course has a cell phone or whatever. And she not only will not use Facebook, um, because so passe, right? They probably think it's like MySpace or whatever, but they she also won't actually text. So she will only do Snapchat with her mom. And because I guess I don't use it, because I'm not 13, you have to take a picture in order to send your message. She'll like just snap a picture of her foot and then like send her mom like a, hey, be home by seven. Oh my God. What in the fuck? That is so much work. Yeah. I don't get it. But I guess, I mean, you're not typing. So she probably is just like, boop, talk to the phone, send, done. Ooh, are you not typing? I don't know how it works. Uh, I mean, you can type <laughs> captions, but you can also just like record yourself talking. So. I don't know. Oh, so it's just like an audio message. Yeah, I mean, it's a video. So, like, it's just like a live video feed from your phone. <laughs> Moving no, pictures? Well, we'll give you, we'll give you the tutorial <laughs> later. Don't worry. Oh, shit. Don't worry, Danielle. The train's not going like, to run you over. The thing is, what am I missing out on? Fucking puppy filters and, like, doe eyes? I don't care. Yeah, I, th- I, I think you're good. I don't care. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's funny that Facebook came out, became, like, the voice of a generation, and then that generation's parents and grandparents... And then anyone that came later was like, that's dumb. Yeah. Like, no, we're not using that. Sticking with Daisy, though, because I really do love her so much. So let's talk about the money. And I want to pose the question to you, because I don't really know what I think, is keeping the money ethical. But I love when Daisy sees the money and just says, I'm going to go to college and not at night. (laughs) That actually made me tear up. I was just like, oh, man. And then when she figured out how many hours... Because Aza's like, well, that's not going to pay for your whole, col- your whole college. And then she was like, yeah, but it's, you know, 7,000 shifts at Chuck E. Cheese that I don't have to work. Yeah. I got a little choked up for her and like what that could mean for her. But no, what I, do we think about the money? Yeah, I think it's interesting. And I do like how they bring up that issue between friends because that's totally the type of thing that as, you know, young adults and honestly, even as adults, like there's that financial gap between worlds that you know is is sometimes even among friends it's probably closer because for whatever reason we tend to travel in similar socioeconomic circles but to have that discrepancy where here's the friend who is working and has a job so clearly mm-hmm. you know she needs to do that otherwise she wouldn't and then Aza who doesn't have to work and that being but who also isn't rich rich she gets her like 25 bucks a week to pay for their don't leave a tip cheeseburgers right it's not rich but it's also you know you see it from daisy's eyes and she's like yeah you're not rich but you're also not having to work yeah absolutely and so and i definitely had friends like that growing up like i had a really good friend who ever since i knew him had either a paper route or a job and granted a large part of that was tithing to the mormon church but it was definitely (laughs) a difference between the two of us where you know i didn't really get a job until I started driving but he like his parents would drop him off or he had a paper route and it was just always like a slightly different world between the two of us Um, yeah we have to talk through our kids like about that because we live in a very affluent neighborhood and we're what I like to call the cost of entry house so (laughs) it's a nice house but it's not like 
a mansion. And I have to reset my own thinking because I remember when my older son was telling me the kid in his class, he's like, oh, you know, Ben's house has an elevator. And in my head, I'm thinking, God, where are there apartments by us? No, it's not an apartment building, dumbass. His house has an elevator. And I was like, oh, reset. Like, there's big bucks out here that's more like Davis money. Yeah, well, and that's interesting, too, that, you know, you have Aza and her mom, who clearly has a grudge against the landed gentry, like, that, you know, is totally has a point of view of the wealthy and that they're going to take advantage and that they're going to abuse. And I'm curious if we're going to learn more about where that comes from, because it's interesting that she has this like very pointed view of protection over Aza against, you know, the wealthy sort of taking what they want and doing what they want. And against Davis that she met at Sad Camp. Oh, Sad Camp. You know, like, I know she called it that. So I feel like we can say, I know. but yeah. The sad camp for people that have lost a parent. Like, that sounds awful. I mean, I'm glad I guess it exists for those kids, but ugh, I'd rather meet at fat camp. But to your question, is keeping the money ethical? Um, I'm going to say yes. Only because that they don't know where it came from, whether it's crooked money or clean money or who knows. But I don't feel like they did anything unethical to get it. And I think, honestly, in the world of, for Davis, he's like, here, I give you this, and that gives me the peace of mind that I don't have to freak out about, like, are you just hanging out with me because of this reward? I feel like by keeping it, it does more good than harm. So I say, yeah, keep it. I feel like I agree with you, but then if I'm in the situation, I can't wrap my head around a way where I would keep it. But maybe that's just the thing. Like there's a study that says that women are basically programmed to say no. (laughs) So you could offer me an iced tea and I could be super parched and I'll be like, no, I'm fine. That's just like engendered in us. But I don't, it's kind of amazing. You, it's like such a, such a nice windfall from people to whom it will make no difference. Well, unless his dad actually dies and then everything goes to the fucking dinosaur. Well, in which case a hundred thousand dollars as Davis says, is a rounding error. So the dinosaur is going to be fine. And Davis and Noah in that situation, so he and his brother could probably raid the rest of the cereal boxes if they were like, well, we have no money. Let's hurry up and kind of take care of ourselves, I guess, with our cash stash. Yeah, and well, Davis says that like they won't be rich, but they'll be taken care of. Like he's, He didn't seem concerned that like, oh, if all the money goes to this dinosaur, we're going to be in the poorhouse. Oh, yeah. I didn't really pick up on that. But now in hindsight, you're right. Okay. Hopefully. That might have been when I read ahead. I don't know. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) We'll find out. If you read the next chapter and you're like, God damn it, that's where you got that from. My apologies. Danielle had a false memory because she didn't even read that yet because I didn't. Um, All right. So now then that they have the money, I guess I just keep waiting for like the other shoe to drop and it's not. Yeah, so... Like I thought something would happen with the money and it was just like so easy and now it's in their bank accounts and now Daisy goes to college. Yeah, and before they got before they got the money, we've been enjoying trashy TV in our house and we've been enjoying the reboot of The Love Connection. Um, I don't know if you've watched oh, any of this. But <laughs> no, but I will. No, it's great. Um, oh, what's his name as the host? Andy Cohen? Is that his name? Oh, yeah. The comedian? The, oh, yeah, the gayest yeah. man in America? Yes. Um, Yeah. So he's the host of it. But it it has that at the end, you have this choice, right? Do you 
if you have a love connection with this person, do you take them on this amazing date or do you take $10,000? And I was like, is that where this is going? Is it going to come down to this? Like, do I, you know, stay with Davis and respect him and his family or do I reveal this information and cash out? Like, but now that they have the money, I have no idea where this is going. It's so funny because the thing that I guess that was sold as like the major plot point of the story is the part of the story that I care the least about. Which is where is the dad? Yeah, I don't care. Like the mystery aspect of it. And I don't know if we're supposed to care that much about it other than like the hurdle of this, you know, maybe the money is like some kind of uh, trope or facility or some kind of thing that gets us to this socioeconomic conversation. But it's not like we spend... You know, we're not reading Magpie Murders again or something where we're spending all this time trying to solve the mystery. It's more just about day-to-day feelings and interactions. So I find that, all right, as a device, the mystery is there of the disappearing dad. But really what strikes me is not that he disappeared, but like what a shit parent he was by first emotionally abandoning his sons when the mom died and then physically taking off and leaving them to fend for themselves. Like that's far more interesting to me. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I mean, it's John Green's not a mystery writer necessarily, although strangely enough, a lot of his books do center around this idea of a missing person or someone disappearing. Like it was definitely in Paper Towns. It was definitely in Finding Alaska. So Finding Alaska, for sure. That's what I was just It's kind of like he uses it sort of as a MacGuffin in a way to set characters in motion and kind of throw them into each other's world. But it's never really like the true hook and the reason you stick around. And I think also just based on the cover of this book, like the idea of Aza's sort of mental stability and her spiraling thoughts seems to be more the main focus of the book, more so than the mystery of where Davis's father is. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm curious about the title. Like I know there was that throw to the title when they were um, taking the canoe out, right? Heading to Davis's like, because I guess she lives on the wrong side of the river in this book or the stream. But um, when they're taking the canoe out and she said that there were like turtles everywhere, basically all the way down the river, it didn't feel usually right. It's so much more obvious when the title of the book comes out of a line. Like when you're in a play and you have the line in the play that's the title of the play, like every actor hates getting that line because <laughs> that's when everyone in the audience goes, mm, yes, that's where the title comes from. <laughs> like it sucks. Like that, when you draw that, when your character draws that line, you're like, ah, oh, God damn it. Uh, but I don't, I guess, get the significance yet of the title, like why that would be the line that is picked. Well, there's a classic joke slash story aphorism um, about turtles all the way down that is, and I'm totally going to screw it up, but you can probably find it somewhere. But basically it's like, there's a mystic man who talks about how, you know, our whole world is just floating on it. It's on uh, the back of a turtle. Oh, it's Terry Pratchett. Yeah. The writer. Well, I think his is like, it comes, I think he might've taken it from that story. I don't know. That's how, Okay, I, we'll have to look it up. Yeah. Because it's well known and I know nothing. But yeah, and then someone says, well, like, oh, yeah, well, then what's underneath the turtle? And he's like, well, you can't fool me. It's turtles all the way down. Uh-huh. You're, you know more than me. I need to look that up. Let's link that to everybody else who doesn't know the well-known thing either. Yeah. <laughs> we are going to have a lot of links. Hey, it makes sense to me that we have a lot of, like, digital references in the YA book. Yeah. Right? I feel like thematically it fits. I'm going to make a note so that we make a note. But so you wonder if that's, I mean, 
in that sort of philosophical aphorism, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke, right? Like, oh, it's not just the world. The world's in the back of a turtle. And it's like, well, what's in that? It's turtles all the way down. Well, how is that any different than the world just being the world? And I think that gets to this whole idea of like, who's driving me? Who's in control? Is it me or is it the microbiome? Is it my thoughts or is it my physical body? Like, what's really, what's the difference? Like, it's all the same thing. You just put a different name to it. Man, if some high school kid is going to have to do a book report or a term paper on a piece of modern literature and they just happen to stumble upon this and what you just said, I think you just wrote their thesis. Well done. <laughs> You're welcome, kids. Man, that was really good. Um, all right, so I guess I don't really know where it's going, but I'm interested to jump back into it and finish. I mostly want to find out like what happens to Aza and her finger. I just want to read more awesome dialogue between really smart kids that I kind of want to hang out with in a non-creepy way. Oh, yeah, I do like when Daisy talks, for sure. Like, I want to be like, I want to be your sidekick BFF. Yeah, do you Don't need a ride to work? I, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it even makes me, like, my first car was a Toyota Corolla, as was my second and my third. Ugh. But And I definitely did not have this happy, like, Harold love relationship. I actually judge things in my life now when I have to make a decision and something's kind of safe and something's kind of flashy. I will literally say in my head, don't pick the Corolla and I will pick the flashier thing. Like that's how I pick clothes now. Jewel. It doesn't matter anything. I'm just like, don't pick the Corolla, Danielle. But then it kind of like Harold is so nice and was her dad's car. Um. All right, let's go read it then. Let's go finish. Let's do. I'm excited to wrap it up and uh, we'll be back next week with the end of Turtles All the Way Down. All things going as planned. We should be back on November 15th to wrap this up as well as announce our next book and our last book of this year of 2017. How did that happen? I feel like we were just like setting, you know, fire to 2016, giving that the two fingered salute and sending it off. And now this <laughs> flaming trash pile of 2017 with some flowery, nice moments is quickly coming to an end. Hey, we started We started a podcast. Oh, yeah. All right. Good. That's a nice twist. That's the silver lining on the bleak summary I just gave. For 2017. Yeah. So as usual, please, if you're listening to this, go on to iTunes, rate us, follow us, subscribe, tell your friends about us. Again, this is a great book to jump into Book Nerds with. It's a fun, easy read. I couldn't see anyone not liking this book. So yeah, please spread the word. We really appreciate it. All right. I'm going to go get my turtle on. So until next time, happy reading. Happy reading, guys. Bye. Bye. La, 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 la. La. There we go. I'm back. You're really yep. recording? I am really, really recording. All right. Do you need to drink some tea or something, or can I go? I'm just going to take a swig of water. You're so fancy. <sighs> I'm just going to suck on this licorice mm, drop. This triple I'm purified okay. water. Delicious.